1: 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au.
2: The Reverend Dr. Ross Clifford is the principal of Morling Theological College in Sydney. He recently gave a talk on the subject, particularly on the subject of being welcoming but not affirming. So he's our guest on the phone-in our today. Uh, if you've got a question on this knotty topic. You can call us now. John is standing by for your calls on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. We would love to hear from you and hear your contribution to the conversation. Well, Ross, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the program. Uh, It is, that's a difficult tightrope to walk, isn't it? The difference between being welcoming and being affirming. Can you just unpack that a bit for us?
3: Yeah, look, good to be with you, Alan. It is, and many churches are now asking You know, what does this mean? In other words, you know, we're all all sinners. We all make mistakes. We, you know, we're all people that are needing of God's grace. So our churches obviously want to be welcoming to everybody. I mean, anybody can walk into our church. We encourage that. But at the same time, how do we say, although we welcome all people, we're not affirming of a particular lifestyle or conduct, no matter what that lifestyle and conduct is, And what are the boundary lines for that not affirming? Yes, you're welcoming into my church, but does that mean you can lead worship if you've got a lifestyle that we don't affirm? Does it mean you can be married by a church? Does it mean you can be baptized, become a member? I mean, what's it mean to be welcoming, but we're not affirming of your lifestyle? And that's the issue that basically all churches across the country and elsewhere across the globe are asking.
2: I mean, I guess in the end, we want to be welcoming. We, you know, we we want to show God's love to to everyone who comes into our churches, but but then at the same time, if if we're saying welcome to our church, oh, and by the way, we condemn your sinful lifestyle, that that's a a bit of a dichotomy for them. Yeah, look, in
3: some sense, though, it is. But we need to remember, Alan. I think that really the Christian church is welcoming but not affirming to everybody. If you know what I mean, okay. I mean, the way of Christ is a challenge. So when we welcome all people, when we welcome the businessman or business person or when we welcome the dry cleaner or, or whoever it is, a school teacher, we're welcoming them, welcoming them or, or the happily married couple. But we're saying we're not necessarily affirming you in every situation you're in and every, every decision you make because Christ will challenge you in every aspect of your life. And when you hear the gospel, there are things that you realize that you will have to let go of or correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. Duh. So wherever you are, when you come to a church, there'll be welcoming, but perhaps, but hopefully whatever church you go to, it will challenge you. It just won't leave you where you are. It'll challenge you in your lifestyle choices, in the way you use your money, the way you use your spare time. It'll challenge you in your marriage. Uh, churches should be places that are gracious, but also challenging. The trouble
2: is that, that we've got such we seem to have got such a hang up about it I mean, that the whole i mean all those things that you talk about are, are true i mean yeah we, we should be challenged about every aspect of our life but why is it we keep coming back to, to sexuality uh, particularly i guess that the elephant in the room here is a homosexual lifestyle but we seem to get hung up on that and there's so many other things
3: oh uh, and that, that's a good point alan and I need to remember too and it's not necessarily the churches are driving this agenda. I mean, the churches haven't asked to change the law. The churches aren't the ones that keep on putting it on the table. Other people in the community keep on putting it on the table. And understandably, the churches react to that or, or you know, people are asking, what is your opinion on that? And it is constant. And I don't think it's uh, – this is another issue. I just don't think it's about uh, same-sex marriage. I think there's another agenda uh, for many people, and that agenda is – uh, how do we reshape Australia into a platform and uh, a look that is not any longer consistent with the Judeo-Christian ethics. So I think for some people on this issue who are pushing hard the same-sex marriage, that is just really the opening that they're wanting to drive through all sorts of other agenda items. And, and that's
2: why it's so constant. And do we tend to rise to the bait as well? We tend
3: to rise to the bait, but having said that, we, many of us tend to sit back and say, oh, what's it matter? And uh, actually, what they will discover is it will matter, and, and the shape of our society will change. You know, what happens in the schools will change. Um, what happens in the workforce will change. Uh, what happens in our face towards Asia will change. I mean, this is not a discussion without consequences.
2: I guess one of the one of the issues that I think many of us would struggle with is this: the, the whole question of orientation, because many homosexual people will, will say they were born that way, and mm. there there are you know there there seems to be some medical evidence that that there is some people that is just the way they are. So so that was the way God created them, and that I find that hard to talk to people. I mean, I I have friends who are gay. And mm. we just <laughs> we just avoid the issue to be honest most of the time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but I find it really hard because they that's what you know they they say I have always been this way. This is the way God made me, and I don't have an answer for that.
3: Well, uh, you know, I could uh, enter into a discussion whether it is biological or behavioural, and uh, you know, where's the evidence at this particular stage. But having said all that, there's no question that some people seem to have a homosexual orientation or disposition we need to remember that for most christian groups they're not saying that people are not welcome in all sorts of areas of leadership within their church because of their orientation it's about the practice does that make sense so If you're a person that has a particular orientation, that doesn't mean that you cannot be part of the church, involved in the church in the fullness of its life. It's about the practice that uh, disqualifies people not affirming in many areas of church life and ministry. So it's about the practice. And I think also, Alan, we need to remember that when we talk about, okay, so you're asking gay people to be celibate, and not to enter into those kind of relationships, but to be celibate, we need to remember that our churches are full of single people. And what most people in the community don't understand is that we're asking everybody who's not in a marriage between a male and a female to be celibate, whether they're single, whether they're gay or whatever. So, you know, there's masses of people within our churches who are single, many of whom don't seem to have any prospect of marriage. And we're saying to them, we expect you to remain celibate. We're asking no more of the gay couple that to remain, or the gay person remains celibate. So I sometimes think we the, the community has the, the sense that the church is asking something of a particular nature that they're not asking for everybody outside of marriage. Does that
2: make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. It is a so, t- so the
3: celibate lifestyle is is a universal call across the church for everybody who's not in a marriage between a male and a female. And I get single people in my church who really get upset about this because they say, "Well, you know." Why is it okay to say, well, okay, we we need to allow gay people to exercise their sexuality? Well, I'm a single person. You don't allow me to do that. Or, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can do that. You know, I'm divorced or my partner passed away or there's been no one entered my life that I fell in love with. And, you you know, you don't say to me it's all right to go out there and practice my sexuality in that way. I remain single.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a call. We've got um, Donna on the line over in WA in Albany. Donna, hello.
4: Oh, hello. How are you?
2: Hi. Um, What's your question for for Ross?
4: Well, uh, just more of a comment. Um, You know how the homosexual people say their form of it and their orientation. I um, I believe it's a bit like um, someone who's a murderer has a murdering spirit, and I think they're born with it. Maybe they're born with it, but it's been passed down as a generational thing. You know, like alcoholics have kids who are alcoholics, you know, that sort of thing. And I think um, it's a spirit, and people can be delivered from it.
2: That's a a whole new area, isn't it? Okay, Donna, thank you very much indeed for your call. Ross, that's, that's another question, isn't it? Is it something from which people can be, for want of another word, delivered?
3: Well, whether people can be delivered or changed, and, and I certainly think uh, whatever our orientation is, people can be delivered and changed. I mean, it's the power of the gospel, uh, Alan. We must not dismiss the power of the gospel to, to change and transform people in all sorts of situations. And so, you know, I, I might be a person that struggles with lust or greed or or gambling or whatever it might be, um, and uh you know sometimes people are delivered from that other times people learn how to control those particular kind of persuasions in their life and not to practice them Mm. and so i i think we need to be very strong about this there are some people who may well change their orientation uh with respect to being gay there are other people who will not Feel that they can change their orientation but the church message is exactly the same we believe the Bible message is exactly the same uh, what God is calling us to do is not to practice that form of sexuality and to remain consistent to the kingdom of God and its values so welcoming is what we want to say we're welcoming to all people Alan. Um, everyone hopefully can walk into a church and find grace and love but then inside a church you know the church has got to act consistently with the values of God so how do they say we're welcoming to people but these are the limits that we place on your involvement in church life because not to place those limits will only get churches into deep, deep trouble. Get your day off to a great start with a breakfast full of
2: positive music, fun, inspiration, and so much more. Visions Rise and Shine, weekday mornings. It's Alan Lee on 2020, and on the program today we're joined by uh, the Reverend Dr. Ross Clifford from Morling Theological College in Sydney. We're talking about about being affirming uh, welcoming, but not affirming. I'll get that the right way around there, Robin. <laughs> and uh, uh, ju- just the the church's attitude to sexuality. And uh, we're taking calls. We're happy to hear from you with your comments or questions. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen 316 316 is the number to call, uh, which is exactly what Robin did from Mount Morgan in Queensland. Robin, hello. How are you?
1: Yes, hi. Um, this is another subject that really um, gets me hot under the collar because um exactly as both of you say i um, i applaud you both because these people do need support and they don't we shouldn't be rejecting them or being so arrogant to judge them i just get so mad um i'm not saying that that it's normal i'm not saying that it's um that you know god likes it because he doesn't like anything that destroys mankind but um it is uh, you know it's a it's a real bad problem but it's i really believe these homosexuals that they are because i have somebody that I know that I'm pretty sure is because he's been like that since a child. And um, I've never been homosexual myself, but I have suffered chronic depression for most of my life that come from a very, um, very, very bad, poor self-image. Nothing would make it shift. I've had to, um, you know, of just constantly reading the Bible and, you know, and allowing God to love me after many, many years. You know, slowly I was able to change. There are also um, people that are born hermaphrodites. I've I've worked in two institutions. Well, I've worked in different institutions, but there are two people, one in each of these institutions, that have both sexes. Um, Now, that's, you know, absolute fact. Now, if the devil can cause people to be born with two sets of um, outwardly, um, you know, physical Male and female um, appendages and whatever, then he can also mess up other people in other ways. So there are also this, there are people. I saw a documentary of um, people that believe that their limb, either one of their legs or both of them, doesn't belong to them. And and there's a, a psychiatrist in America somewhere that sees these type of people. And when he sees that they are so um, firmly believing in that. Then they have those limbs amputated, which I think is absolutely absurd. Wow. But the problem is, it's not something that they can just say, "Oh, well, I've become a Christian now, and homosexuality is um, wrong, so I'll just let that let that go, and I'll become a uh, you know a, a normal person." It doesn't happen that way. We need to support people and not judge them.
2: Yeah, very good point, Robin. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Nice to talk thank to you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a. The trouble is, that's so easy to do, isn't, isn't it, Ross? To 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 judge people.
3: Yeah. Look, absolutely. And I, I take uh, Robin's plea there, and that's what we've been saying: we need to love and show grace to all people, as Jesus did, and uh, you know, welcome all people, and uh, do that with that real spirit of grace. But at the same time, uh, Alan, we do need to get to a stage where people do understand what the gospel is. And it's not that we're judging people. No, I'm I'm sure Robin would agree with this. But in the end, we do need to explain what are the commands of God and and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and and, and what's it mean to take up our cross and follow him. And so we do need to explain that. And if we love people, we will explain that and we will share that and we'll set that out. And not to do that, of course, is not to love people because in the end, you're going to leave them in their confusion. I also agree with Robin that for some people, as she said, things can happen very quickly, instantaneously. For other people, it's very much a process and a pilgrimage that we need to support people in. But that doesn't mean we don't stand up for the values of God in that process.
2: Yeah. Before we spoke to Robin, um, we were talking about uh, welcoming people into the church and you were talking about sort of the boundaries within that. What did you mean by that?
3: Well, look, um, when you look at the Bible and say, if you read one Corinthians or look at what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, we, you know, there are always boundaries. I mean, the Kingdom of God, the Church is a welcoming institution, but the Bible makes it very clear that there's behaviour and pattern that are necessary to be actively involved in in the church, to be involved in the kingdom of God and the life of the church. So there are good boundaries that are put into place uh, in the Bible and where we're loving, we're good neighbours, we build relationships, but those boundaries do exist and they should exist. So. What do those boundaries look like? So, this is what churches are discussing, Alan, and, and, and maybe uh, the listeners have um, different points of view, or maybe they've experienced this themselves. So, when you're welcoming but not affirming, does that mean that someone who's living a life that we believe is contrary and practicing a life contrary to God's gospel can that person lead your worship, for example? Can they mm-hmm. be in your choir? Can they be a deacon or an elder? Can they preach? Can they take up a uh, teacher's Sunday school class? Can, can they be involved in the holiday club for kids? I mean, what are those boundaries? And it's silly to pretend they're not going to be there because as our churches continue to live in our communities, more and more people are going to come in and they're going to feel that sense of welcome, but they're going to ask, well, what can I do in the church? How can I be involved? You're welcoming, but in what areas are you not affirming? And that's where the discussion is taking place. And um, that's what people are asking. What does that look like? And I, and, and, and people will know enough, they've been watching the media or listening to Christian media or to know that this is being played out now. Various churches are having to explain why people cannot be in particular roles because of the lifestyle choices they're still uh, carrying out. So that's the question. If a a gay couple came into your church or someone who's a practising gay came into your church, I'm sure there would be welcome and there would be love shown to that person. But what are the boundaries? What are the good fences that would be in place in your church with respect to that person's involvement in the life of the church? And are those fences, those good boundaries, are they easily accessible? I mean, where is someone going to find out about that well, they're only going to find out about that as they get involved and then find that these boundaries start appearing. And that's the question. Should these boundaries be up front? Do people find out about those boundaries as they start to become part of the life of the church? Or is your church going to have no boundaries at all? Welcoming but affirming. Mm. And if that's the case, I mean, how is that going to be consistent with a Christian lifestyle in the
2: kingdom of God? I can imagine, though, that... that... If someone has come into a church and is offering to serve the church in some role, it could be quite hurtful for, to, to say to them, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You can't serve the teas or you, you can't be a sidesman or, or whatever. I can imagine that, that that could be really upsetting.
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, but then, of course, you've got to ask the question, Alan uh, does the church only minister pastorally to that particular person? So, you know, th- th- let, me, let me explain. If, and, and it's not you know, it could be any particular issue, but um, say, for example, and I've had this experience as a pastor, say you've got someone who's uh, split from his marriage or her marriage, and um, they still claim they're a committed Christian, they're still part of the church life, and you know, and as other people know, just by observation and whatever, that they're in an active relationship with somebody else. Their divorce might be going through, they might be divorced and not remarried, they're in an active engagement with somebody else, and this person, say, for example, has been a worship leader in your church. Now, this person continues to be involved in their worship leading. Your church is made up of lots and lots of young, unmarried uh, couples and relationships and whatever. What's it say to them? They look out the front and think, oh, well, okay, it's all right for that bloke to live with somebody. So you know, it must be okay for us to live together without being married. So it's not just a pastoral statement to those people that you know are seeking to be involved in the ministry of the church. It's what pastoral statement by accepting them without qualification are you making to everybody else? Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go so, back to uh, let's just uh, pop back to the phones for a sec. We've got yeah, to, uh, we've got people banking up here. Uh, we've sure. got uh, Heidi who is in Victoria. Heidi, hello. Oh, good thanks.
4: um I guess I just want to make a comment. I've heard quite a few people say that um you know I was born this way, and I guess I'm understanding where they're coming from, but um, as one person pointed out, I guess if you stop and think about it, we're actually all born tempted with sin, and I guess that's how I would look at it. I'm not like I guess if you're an alcoholic, you can't say, oh, "I was born this way
2: yeah well, that's that's uh, uh, yeah that that's a point of view, isn't it, Ross? Oh, and it is. But of what
3: I would say to Heidi in that situation, uh, we need to understand that if people do have a disposition for whatever reason, then the struggle is going to be doubly difficult for them, isn't it? And, and we appreciate that. And, and we need to stand with them and assist them as they seek to you know, live a life that's honoring to God. But, you know, as Heidi says, the Bible acknowledges that all of us uh, are built uh, and, and, and born and, and caught up with the consequences of sin. So we're all going to have to battle with certain things in our own lives and we're going to have to seek God's grace to overcome that and we're going to have to seek strength from God not to do the things that are inconsistent with God's ways.
2: Thanks very much for your call, Heidi. Uh, let's go to Cairns in Queensland and uh, Helen is on the line. Hi, Helen. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, what what would you like to say?
4: Well, just like to go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter five, where Paul deals with immorality in the Corinthian church, and apparently they had a problem with it there and um, he was getting a bit stern with them and it's, I mean the whole chapter is relevant, but he says in verse nine, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves, the evil person. They had a pretty tough fight there in Corinth, but I don't think our world's much different. Mm. But they had to go out and they had to preach the gospel and bring people in, but there was still a standard in the body. And we are in the fight of our lives with sin, and we need to keep the body strong, you know, like a little leaven leavens the whole lump, but yet there has to be wisdom
3: in it. Mm. Ross? Yeah, look, uh, I agree, Helen. I was wondering if someone was going to bring up what I call the do-not-eat test in 1 Corinthians 5.11. <laughs> and and you did, Helen. You did bring it up. Well, there you uh, go.
4: But, I mean, it's it, there, isn't
3: it? It is there, Helen. Uh, but I think, as you've explained... In 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear that we had a good relationships with our neighbours.
5: Mm. to be
3: people, we people are good citizens. Yeah. We'll be people that are to welcome all people. And so uh, Paul's not talking against what we've just been saying, but as he says in the do not eat test, there does come a time in these relationships where you have to take a stand. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and you have to have a position. And. Ooh. That's what, that's what he says. So it, it, we're not quite sure exactly what he's referring to with respect to the eating. We probably, It's probably not the Lord's Supper. But he is saying there are times when you've got to realize you've got to make a stand. And if you don't make a stand, what you're doing is going to be totally confusing, not just the people within the church, yeah. but the people of the world. And yeah, it's just right, going to be okay. totally, totally confusing. So you do get to a stage you've got to make a stand. And that's what I'm saying. Uh, hell, yeah. I agree with you. Paul is very much calling the community, the Christian community, to engage with others, but he's also saying you are light, uh, you are to shine, and so therefore you do need to know what it is to take a stand and when to eat and when not to eat.
4: And that's right. And a discipled Christian, a mature Christian, has a responsibility not to be in sin. Like, I mean, you know, you don't expect Mm. other people uh, who are just coming in to have that Standard because they, they need to grow and they need to be treated right. with love but there's a
3: difference that's okay. right whoever it is I mean I might have and I'm sure I've got bank managers listening here and <laughs> not, but, I, but I might have the greedy bank manager listening in and uh, he comes into a church and he's not going to be left alone Helen Uh, he's going to hear to be a greedy bank manager is not consistent with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God wants him to be a non-greedy bank manager. Does that make sense? Yes. And, And that might take him a little while to understand that. But we're going to walk with him. He might have to change his structures. He might have to actually leave that bank and go somewhere else because that particular bank only wants a greedy bank manager.
4: Well, the Holy Spirit does the work, you know.
3: Absolutely. The Bible's preached. The, the Spirit does the work. Uh, and we're not about leaving anybody in any situation. Everybody's got to change when mm. they come to church.
4: Well, that's I right. Mean, Paul the, didn't pick and choose, did he? He said, you know, no. um, uh, covetous, idolaters, revilers, drunkards, extortionists.
3: That's <laughs> right. He
4: took them all in. He's
3: got a, like a list. list. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a whole list. And, and that's yep. the point. And I think that's a point that Alan's made as well. Sometimes we can think, you know, oh, my gosh, This is only a message that the church has for the same-sex community. Absolutely not. You come into the church and you will be challenged and there will be boundary fences and there will be situations that you need to hear and as you're welcomed, come in. But if you think that means you don't change, you're not going to be convicted by the Spirit of God and we expect change, then sorry, you're in the wrong place.
4: That's
2: right, yes. Yeah. Thanks very much indeed for your call, Helen. It's okay. uh, great great to get your contribution. Thank you. Love a cuppa and a good chin wag. Vision's Morning Cafe has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. The Morning Cafe, this morning after Rise and Shine. And you're listening to 2020 on this Wednesday lunchtime. We are talking about sexuality and the church and the church's attitude to it. Our guest on the program is uh, Dr. Ross Clifford from Morling Theological College. Our lines are open on one 316 316 if you would like to join in the conversation. Uh, we sort of touched on this earlier on, Ross, but but in terms of, of priorities, and it, when you go through the New Testament, Jesus barely talks about homosexuality. He talks about justice. He talks about treating the poor. He talks about looking after people who, who are... Um, who are in need? Have we got our priorities wrong when we when we worry about it so much? Oh look, that's a good question, Alan.
3: I think we need to remember that in Jesus' day, I mean, there was no context of marriage being uh, of a homosexual nature, so it wasn't like you know high on the agenda. I mean, Paul certainly talks strongly about uh, practices uh, that are inconsistent. Uh, with scripture in the Old Testament and he brings in homosexuality there. I think that we need to say that Jesus very much affirms traditional marriage. I mean, he affirms Genesis 1 and 2 and points out that marriage is between um, a male and a female. So Jesus affirms that and makes it very clear. Look, I, I, as I say, this agenda is not being driven by the churches and uh, other people of goodwill. We're not out there banging doors on this. I mean, this is something that is constantly coming into the community from particular pressure groups and, and, Alan, not necessarily from the gay community. I mean, there are numerous people in the gay community who are in relationships who don't want to get married, who don't yeah. want to get um, married under, you know, under the law of Australia. And we need to remember that the census shows that there's less than 1% of people in Australia in committed gay relationships. And only a percentage of those people want to get married so, in some contexts, yes, this is all out of place with the world's uh, situation, our economic crisis, all sorts of other justice issues, all out of place. The church is not necessarily one banging the drum, they're responding to the drum that's being banged. But we do need to know, as I said earlier, there are consequences to this that the church feels it needs to address. It's the consequences. So, what's going to happen if same sex marriage goes through? You know, will Uh, churches be able to be excluded from doing those marriages perhaps initially but will that be the case in five or six years time as we're seeing overseas alan what will happen to the restaurant or whatever or the the baker who understandably serves whoever comes in their shop but when they're asked to be part of a marriage to supply particular food or to be the florist or to rent their hall and they say look as a christian i can't do this are they going to be persecuted and prosecuted as happening in america What's going to happen to institutions like happening in Canada, a Christian law school who's finding its graduates are not being allowed to practice because the American Bar Association is saying, we don't like your law school's position on this issue. So What's going to happen in primary schools and elsewhere where all of a sudden there's going to be parent one and parent two? Will Mother's Day and Father's Day continue? I very much doubt it. Just look at the safe school program that's going on now. Uh, so, Alan, I think there are many people out there, including people from the Human Rights Commission and elsewhere, who understand there are massive consequences to this. And that's what the church needs to be addressing with people as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, we've got Jonathan back uh, from Perth in WA, we've got a better line now uh, uh, Jonathan, hello, how are you?
5: yeah, all right. you?
2: I'm very well, what was your question?
5: yes, I have not had to ask question, I tried to make comment. Okay. yeah, you know, the the problem that we are dealing with more than we are, is greater than we think about it to be very easy, it's not easy something, because so long it has to do with marriage it is from God's perspective we have to practice that so the only thing that we need to fight as a church is for the government to approve of it because marriage was instituted by God himself. So if the government coming in because they are in power, God put them there, if they want to force it, that's the only way we talk about in the church. Church has nothing to do with this one in other words. That we play God's role instead of playing our role. Instead of preaching Christ, because Christ said, if we preach him, he will draw all men unto himself be homosexual, be this, be that, he knows the best. But they just want to forget about Christ and preach these small, small things and focus their attention on it, that they are missing Christ. I know there are many people, these things started even when, from the day of creation, there have been a homosexual whatsoever, anything, they have been. But the only thing we are not focused on is on Christ. When we focus on Christ, everything will be put into places. God knows the people he made them. Whether the enemy manipulated and make something out of them, God is the best person who went to church. So the church had to play a role by preaching Christ. Any person come in the church, we know you know I've been a pastor for twenty five years in Africa. I know this. But if we leave the role of preaching and part into politics, we should be in the church, who not to be in the church. How to handle them? How do not handle them? We're complicating things. We lead their love. Okay. This is what I want to say. This all right. is not our position. Okay. Our position is to pray and allow God to be done.
2: Okay, Jonathan, thanks for your call. So I, we just preach, preach Christ, and um, that's the most important thing. That's what Jonathan says. Look, I, I didn't quite
3: hear all of that, Alan. Uh, I must be... Uh, to say and I'm, I don't want to misrepresent Jonathan but I think he was saying we just preach Christ and we don't worry about mm. some of these issues and we leave that to I don't know work itself out as we preach Christ I think that's the sense of it but to preach Christ uh, is to preach Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace but it's also to preach you know what Jesus calls his disciples to to be it's to preach what Jesus calls us to. I mean, if you are going to preach Christ, you're going to have to preach what Christ is calling you into. And so I'm not quite sure where Jonathan goes Mm. with that. It's just not preaching Christ and stopping there. Preaching Christ is, you know, preaching the gospel. And the gospel calls us to be followers of Jesus. And to be followers of Jesus looks like this. And so the gospel is full. Repent. Mm. And, you know, so you can't preach Christ without preaching the whole gospel. So I'm not quite sure what Jonathan expects the church to do. The church has got to be embracing that. And I think one of the problems of Africa, Africa, is explaining some great stories are coming out of Africa, but also one of the concerns coming out of Africa is that the whole sense of the authenticity of being a follower of Jesus is being lost in some places because the gospel is not being taught with its fullness.
2: Yeah. You won't know how much of a difference the Worship Hour will make to your day until you tune in. Try it. Visions Worship Hour, seven nights a week, right here. It is indeed Alan Lee with you, standing in for Neil Johnson on this Wednesday lunchtime. We're talking about church and sexuality, about being welcoming but not affirming. Our guest on the programme is Dr Ross Clifford from Morling Theological College in Sydney. And uh, we're taking your calls as well. One 316 Time is running out, so we will uh, try and squeeze people in as best we can. Uh, let's talk to Jim, who is in Victoria. Uh, it's not a great line, Jim, but we'll do our best. Uh, what was your question?
0: Oh, uh, m- mine. Mine. Oh, well, yeah, it's a question, but it's a, a experience as a taxi driver. Um, I, I met many different people, um, you know, and and often. That the people would going to go to places where i wouldn't go personally um, and they invited me to go with them, or they tried to show me things that i didn't want to show, or they sometimes a lady wanted to reveal things to me to get a cheaper cab fare and i didn't i didn't succumb to it and i and i'd say no, and i'd you know put my hand or i'd say no i'm not interested. Whatever, but a lot of the time I was always trying to preach at the people and trying to say things, and but the the best thing for me was the fact that in the taxi, I was able to play the Christian radio, so at times God would say, "Turn it on," and there could be a Christian uh, song on or whatever um, a, a talkback thing and, and I had you know didn 't just have those sort of people. I had school students who messed the bus and missed the bus or whatever, and um, it was just a great opportunity to share the gospel. But at the end of it all, I turned to God and I said, Lord, did I did I say enough? Did I do enough? And he said to me, Jim, the thing that mattered the most was when you said no. That was the greatest witness of all the things you said, did, or, you know, the acts of kindness to put people's wheelchairs in the back and, and, and all those things. When you said no, um, and, and God took me further with that, you know, the yes and the no, but the thing that I learned in my experiences as well because I've been involved with uh, re- Christian rehabilitation programs was that the men that I met who had struggled with homosexuality, their mothers were quite domineering. Um, having also worked in, as a youth pastor, I learned that it's very important for the for the father to tell their daughter that she's a princess. It's amazing how the opposite of of you know the genders if if the father can can, can let the daughter know she's a princess. She will expect that in a relationship, but if she's never told that she's um, uh, you know, a princess, she can fall short in believing that she's worth something. But, but with, a, with a mother and a son, the, the son, if dominated by the mother and, and, and made to feel small and belittled, Um, without being given the opportunity to grow as a man um, it it, it can stifle his ability to cope and function as a man my mother went too far she used to call me a king but she called me King Faruka and King Faruka is not a good king so I've I've had a different struggle in my life with the things I've had to overcome but sin does crouch at the door and we must master it um, and this is the thing that God said to me, and it's not a, an easy thing to master because it will always come back. They will always try and find a chink in our armor to get us down. So I, 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 uh, I think that what God said to me is something that I will always hold, as, as that lady shared before about the First the Corinthians five, and and it was, it was good for me to look back at that again. Um, so. Uh, so, but God was saying to me in that simple answer, of, "No, I'm not going in there with you." Or, I mean, these people I got to know them; they were friends. I'd built a relationship with them. I got to know them, and and I didn't judge them, or but I did pray for them. I continued to pray for them. I'm still praying for them today.
2: Um, okay. Yeah. Uh- We'll um, we'll move on because your your line's pretty shocking there, Jim. I don't know what you've done to done to Telstra to deserve that, but uh, but that's a really good point though, isn't it? it? It is as simple in some cases as saying no.
3: Oh, look, a really good point from Jim, and he's saying that our lifestyle and our behaviour has to be consistent. So I think we've heard that today too, Alan. That um, as we talk about what we believe is acceptable conduct to God with respect to sexuality, it's very important that church leaders and all of us in all areas of our life are saying no where we need to be saying no and living consistent lifestyles and not just saying to somebody else, well, you've got to say no there. But as for us, we're into greed, we're into lust, we're into pornography, we're into sleeping around, whatever. Not good enough. Mm. The kingdom of God needs to be, you know, with all, all of our imperfections, we need to be on this course together saying no to the things we need to be saying no to and yes to the things we need to be saying yes to. And I, I totally agree with Jim. And also, you know, the role of parenting is very important. And can I just say, Alan, what's happening, for example, in New South Wales is very interesting. This past weekend, our education department and and others have been coming out saying we need more male teachers, particularly in primary schools, more male teachers. It's absolutely important that in education and schools, students get the balance of female and male teachers, absolutely essential for good education. So please, more male teachers apply. The same group are saying that, are saying, well, within the family, where the things are really taught and modeled, it's okay if you have two females or two males. But how (laughs) come? Because in schools, they're saying, no, we want the balance between male and female. But hang on, in the family, that balance is not essential. It's a game, Jim. It's a a game, Alan. For for those people, it's a game, and it's a game with serious consequences, and that's what worries me.
2: We're almost out of time, but I did want to, to mention a quote that you used in that, that talk you gave in WA. Um, Yet those who would become the Lord's disciples and hence join the discipleship community must do so on God's terms, not their own. What What did you Absolutely. mean by that?
3: Absolutely, Alan, that we are welcoming, we're reaching out to all people, seeking to show that the church is a loving, caring place as we shared. But you are not welcoming people, you're not being fair to people if you don't explain to them what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And though why everybody is welcome, the Bible says the road is actually a narrow one. And there comes a time in that welcoming and hearing about the kingdom and hearing about Jesus and hearing about grace, you're going to have to decide whether it's God's way or my way and that is whether you are gay heterosexual a bank manager whoever you are and it will challenge you and challenge your lifestyle and i'm saying with respect to sexuality it will challenge your lifestyle because it will say sexuality with respect to sexual intercourse is only practiced between a male and a female in a marriage and so therefore that's god's way welcoming but to be welcomed is to hear with honesty what the kingdom of God is all about, with love, support, and encouragement for all of us to live that life, whether we're single, married, or whether we feel that we're in a gay relationship. God's way is the only way, Alan, and I think that's what the churches have got to be consistent about.
2: Uh, the trouble is that and we are nearly out of time, and here's a whole new subject. As a church, we're so splintered, aren't we? We'd, we've got different different churches say different things.
3: Oh look, we are, but let me tell you, the I'm president council of churches in New South Wales, and we've had rallies around the country. And I tell you what, the, Jew, the Jewish community, the Orthodox churches, the Catholic churches, the Sydney Anglican churches, the Presbyterian, the Baptist, the Church of Christ, the Salvation Army, uh, charismatic. Mate, they're all on the one page here.
2: Oh, that's brilliant.
3: It's only isolated churches. <laughs> Love everybody, welcoming, but in the way. In, as we welcome, it's important that we show God's way, and God's way is the, is, the, is the way to salvation and grace.
2: It has been fascinating to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for, for sparing so much of your time and for, for helping us deal with such a, a knotty subject. It's been really eye-opening. Thank you very much indeed.
3: God bless you, Alan. God
2: bless the listeners. All right. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Ross Clifford. He is the principal of Morling Theological College in Sydney. Thank you so much to him.
1: Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to
3: life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.